You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. This morning's going to be a great morning of breakthrough. The title of my message this morning is Disconnected with a Question Mark. Disconnected with a Question Mark. You know it's going to be a great morning when the uh, powerhouse Lucas Connell has got a Sunday morning off and he drives all the way to be here with us. Stand up, Pastor Lucas. This is Pastor Lucas Connell. He's one of the, uh, the great, great voices for the kingdom in the world today, and we just love you. We love you and Jackie and your beautiful family. Disconnected, disconnected with a question mark. Disconnected. Uh, a couple of years ago, Leanne and I kind of rescheduled and reconfigured our, our day. You know, life is always busy, and we always used to have this saying, oh, when things slow down. I like that. Bill has the prophetic, I love it. You know, whenever Bill does that, you know it's a prophetic thing. It's an amen. It's a Holy Ghost thing. I love you, Bill. And because uh, it never slows down. Life never slows down. So we found that we've had to like steal moments or, or schedule moments. And sometimes, it, you know, there's a blend. <laughs> and so this one particular day, we decided that, that we could kind of shuffle things and some things around so we could meet at Panera Bread for, for lunch. And so, you know, we go into Panera Bread and we love the chicken noodle soup there. It is like the best chicken noodle soup. And they give you three options. And it's so evil that they give you three. It's like the Garden of Eden. They're like, do, you know, do you want a baguette? Which is like, oh my gosh, just fresh out of the oven. Or do you want a bag of chips that they made? Which is like so amazing, like these kettle fries, uh, kettle chips. And then, you know, a crispy apple. And I'm like, oh, I want all three. And... So we get there and we sit down and I'm finishing a phone call and Leanne, well, I think, might have been finishing an email. And, uh, and I noticed as we sat down to wait for our order, we wanted to sit at a table. It was really full, but there was an eerie quiet. And I remember just kind of lifting up my eyes from my phone, looking around, and there was all these people sitting together that were seated together, but nobody was connected because they were all connected to this thing. They were all on this even though they were sitting across from each other. We were having some problems with, you know, Wi-Fi and internet and, you know, the buffering and movies. And so the guy that came around to have a look at it said, oh, well, what it is is you've got way too many things going. And I've got to disconnect this, I've got to disconnect this, I've got to disconnect this so that you can connect to this thing so you can have a pure flow and have a much stronger signal. And uh, as we come into 2020, this is Connect Sunday. I didn't want to preach to you just another, another ad addition for you to connect to so that your life has moments in it. We want to get rid of the buffering in your life and have a free flow from heaven in your life. The 2020 is the year that you say, oh my gosh, I disc." You know, the Bible says that Jesus often withdrew. He often withdrew and went into the wilderness and into the lonely places, and there he prayed. He knew that he had to disconnect from community. He had to disconnect from people. He had to dis disconnect for a moment from, Jesus is the poor you'll have. You'll always be surrounded by need. There's always going to be problems. How many people notice that, you know, you never have to go looking for problems? You never have to wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm bored out of my brains. I'm going to find some problems. Problems, just, they just seem to find you. They just seem to, problems just seem to be lurking around the corner all the time. So Jesus knew 
that if I'm going to have an overflow where I can meet every need, I've got to disconnect for a season. I've got to disconnect for a moment from the needs, from the screams, from the pouring, from the, and I've got to reconnect to the source. And I've got to get the download from the source. And then the Bible says, and all who touched him were made whole. Jesus healed them all, and all who had unclean spirits and demonic interference, Jesus cast out the demons with a word. Jesus, because he was able to disconnect and connect, he was able to live in power. And how many people know that as followers of Jesus, we ought to take a leaf out of his book? So today I want to read this story. It's a magnificent story in uh, Matthew chapter 12 about Jesus. And I want to, I'm going to give you four things that you need to disconnect from as you disconnect too. So come with me, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse one. It'll come up on the screen behind me. Matthew 12, verse one, reading from the New King James translation, same translation Jesus used, same translation. <laughs> says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, on Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, but only for the priests. And not just him, but also the guys who were with him. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there's one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy. You would not have condemned the guiltless, but you don't, you don't know this. So they, the Pharisees knew the law. They studied the Torah. They not only studied the Torah, but they taught the Tanakh. They, they, they taught the Old Testament word of God. And yet Jesus says, in all of your teaching, it comes through a very, very broken filter because you don't understand that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. God desires, if, if you would have known that, you wouldn't have, sacri you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. You wouldn't have condemned them. The Bible says in Mark 2, 27, in the same kind of story, Jesus says the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. The, 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 the God created the Sabbath so that you and I could have a day of disconnect. We could disconnect from everything else, all the responsibilities, and have a day just to connect with God, to recharge our soul, to recharge our batteries, to reinvigorate, to refire, to rekindle, so we could go back out Monday to Saturday. We could go back out into the world and, you know, take on the problems and take on the, the tasks and take on the responsibilities and execute the duties and, and problem solve as best we can and then have that Sabbath again. The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. It wasn't like God had laws and like, now who can I get to fulfill these laws? I know, I'll make humans. <laughs> and I'll make them observe my laws. <laughs> That's how a lot of people see God. If you see God like that, you may want to read a little more scripture. Anyway, so watch this, so watch this. I, I, I like how cheeky Jesus is. A lot of people find problems with that, but this next verse will shatter your myth. Because the Pharisees, the Pharisees have just condemned the disciples because they're hungry on the Sabbath and they're pulling off grain and eating it. And apparently they shouldn't be doing that because how many people know it's a gross sin when you're hungry to pull and rub it in your hands and eat it? 
But to them, it was like, and they can, they're really having a shot at Jesus. What they were doing anyway, like they're, they're watching him like a hawk. Like he's walking through the grain fields. It's none of your beeswax. What we're doing in the grain fields with my disciples. But what kind of an overseer are you? What kind of an example are you setting? Look, your, why do your disciples break the law on the Sabbath? And you know, just always, always fault finding. Always looking. But have a look at verse 9. I love this. This is so naughty. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. Who's there? The Pharisees. The very ones who were condemning, we're so holy that when we're hungry, we don't rub grain in, in our hands and eat it. We're holy people. So just like, really? Well, I'm coming to your house. Oh, you want to throw stones? Let me, let me come to your house, see how you live. Jesus went to their synagogue. And what does he find in their synagogue? Because come on, you, we're the ones who were so strict in our adherence to the law of God. We're the holy people. So Jesus is like, okay, well, I'm going to come see how it's working for you. Okay, I'm coming to check out just how, how well your theology is working for you. So he went to their synagogue and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand and they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Not that they might bring relief. Not that they might bring healing and deliverance to this guy. They might accuse him. So they believe that on the Sabbath, Jesus shouldn't be working miracles because that's working. So Jesus said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? So it's not eh, eh, struggling. How much more value then is this man than a sheep? Therefore, listen guys, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and he was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Because that's your response. The guy gets healed and they're... So let me give you four quick thoughts. Number one, God wants us to disconnect from legalism and connect to grace. Connect from legalism to grace. Let me just tell you this, that none of you, you and I cannot in our effort, in our focus, in our discipline, in our strength, in our ability, produce the righteousness of God in ourselves. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reason that Jesus had to be born of a virgin was because all flesh had corrupted itself in the earth. There are none righteous, no, not one. All like sheep have gone astray. From Since Adam and Eve sinned, every single human being has been born with a sinful nature. I did not have got four little kidlets. I didn't have to teach any of them how to do what's wrong. I didn't have to teach any of them how now this is how you lie now this is how you deny that you spilt the milk this is how you blame it on somebody who wasn't even here when you wet the bed this is how you blame it on a cat we don't even have a cat but blame it on the cat this is how you don't take this is how you steal this is how this is how when we get in the car and we put our seat as soon as you hear the click click of mum and dad's seatbelts and we're driving off to vacation this is how you start fighting this is how you start screaming she touched me he touched me this is how it's mine I'm not sure this is how, we didn't have to teach our kids any of that all of that just seemed to come natural all of that seemed to come natural the, the first murder in the Bible is Cain and Abel Cain murders Abel and it's, it's a story of the two testaments. 
It's a picture of the two covenants. Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground, saying, I know you cursed the ground, but my strength and my ability can overcome what you have declared and what you have cursed. Whereas Abel comes with an offering and he says, no matter what I produce, it'll never, it'll never be good enough. Therefore, something innocent must shed its life, shed its blood so that I might be accepted. The Bible says the Lord accepted Abel and his sacrifice because he brought a, a, a sheep, a lamb from the first fruits of the flock. Whereas Cain, so arrogant, comes to God and says, look what I produced. And God rejected Cain, but accepted Abel. We, we believe here in the law of God, but we un, you need to understand that the law was given to reveal our exclusion. The law was given to reveal our, our exclusion. We see this in the New Testament in Acts chapter 3, where Peter, James and John go to the temple at the hour of prayer. And there's a lame man laid at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. That They could bring him no further. They could bring him up to the gate. They could bring him up to the gate of the temple called Beautiful. They could bring him there, but he wasn't allowed to enter in because he was infirm, because he was paralyzed. And anybody with any imperfection was not allowed to enter into the temple. Therefore, they had to lay him there. Now, there at the, 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 the gate of the temple, people going in to worship would come out and he would get the, the, the crumbs. He would get, the, he would get gifts. He would get arms. He would get people's benevolence and generosity. They'd throw, throw some coins into his, his cup so that he could live. Well, when Peter, James, and John come up, they're now carrying the New Testament. They're carrying the New Covenant. And we know that the law could only bring you to, but could never bring you in because the law is all about your exclusion. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Jesus comes and says, well, you know, the ten, we can change it into two. He says, not thou shalt not. He says, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In this fulfills all the requirements of the law and the prophets. The Old Testament is all about you shall not. You shall not exclusion. The New Testament is all about do these. And so, so they come and they say, silver and gold we don't have. What we do have we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And as Peter grabbed him by the hand, as Peter connected to him, he went from the law of exclusion to the grace of healing, to the grace of deliverance, to the grace of transformation to the and the Bible says leaping up he entered into in this house you need to understand legalism all it'll do is it'll exclude 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 it's grace that brings you into all that God has for you legalism will remind you why you shouldn't be blessed why you should be broke why you should be sick why you should be struggling but grace says yeah even though I deserve death as a sinner the son of God came and hung on a cross the righteous dying for the unrighteous the sinless for the sinful he made an exchange on that cross the life I get to live is the one that he deserved because the death that he died was the one that I deserved and he made an exchange on the cross it's called grace by grace you have been saved this is not of yourselves lest any man can boast I can't boast in my righteousness and my discipline and my focus but I can boast in the cross of Jesus Christ I can boast in the sacrifice of my Savior I can boast in the Lord my God who loved me so much he hung on a cross and when people were saying come down and save yourselves he didn't come down because he wasn't there to save himself he was there to save you and me somebody say amen I used to play golf with a gentleman who Grew up in a, in, in a very, very strict home, very harsh home. 
And his life was a reflection of the harshness. And he, he, we would play golf and be fun when we turned up. We'd fun, we're chipping and we're laughing on the chipping green and practicing our putts, trying to get them to roll and find out the, the speed of the greens. And, but by about the second or third hole, the smile and the laughter would be gone. By about the seventh or eighth hole, I noticed he doesn't look like he's having a good time anymore. We'd always drive off the golf course and it just seemed more mad than when we arrived. And golf's meant to be a leisure sport. I know that somebody once said that, I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson said that golf is a good walk ruined. <laughs> but what it was, was, was he was so harsh on himself that he, he, would, he would, you know, call penalties and, and it is an integrity game. But he would never, and then this one day, I remember he, the, the, the girl on the golf cart went flying by and he kind of swung and missed and missed the green. It was in a, in a hazard. And I said, listen, drop, drop the ball and have another. Oh, no, 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 pastor. I don't do that. I said, no. And I felt like it was a Holy Ghost moment. And I said, well, I'm driving the cart. We're not moving till you drop another ball. No, pastor. I said, you're taking a mulligan. No way, I've never taken a mulligan. And he's already a couple of strokes behind. I said, listen. I'm not asking you, as your pastor, I'm telling you, you're going to drop a ball. We're not counting that one. You're going to hit it again. And it was like this standoff. He really struck. And so he dropped the ball, hit it onto the green and made par. And we walked off and he says, oh, I've never. And I said, listen, I want you to read this book. I want you to read Joseph Prince's book, Destined to Reign. I said, because... A lot of the strain in your marriage and a lot of the strain in your relationships and even the estrangement from some of the children is because of this harsh legal... The law only produces death. The Bible says, I think it's 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, it says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Ten Commandments were there to remind you and I that we deserve death as sinners. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot fulfill them. The people that pretend they can, like the Pharisees, Jesus is on the outside, you're like whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look so spark, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's, you're full of all kinds of extortion and greed and corruption and all kinds of wickedness are on the inside, but you got it all covered. You've figured out how to be the perfect hypocrite. He says, and all you do, you travel land and sea to make one proselyte, one convert. And when you do, you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. Move from legalism to grace. Second thing is move from, move from death to life. Move from death. To, the law brings death. C3 has become awaken. Awaken church is a life-giving church. If you said, what, what kind of church are we? We're a life-giving church. A life-giving church. The, the Pharisees were, were, were more concerned with the law. There was a man with a withered hand. There, there was no life there. They were just, so Jesus went to see, he went to their center. I just love that. Just, oh, you want to judge these guys? Right, I'm coming to your house. Whenever you judge, judgment comes back on you. That's why it's best not to judge. Now, anyway, so let me, uh, let me keep going. So Jesus says, beware of false teachers. You shall know them by their false teaching. You shall know them by their, you shall know them by their fruit. Jesus says, either make the tree bad and the fruit bad or the tree good and the fruit good. 
He says, no bad tree can bear good fruit and no good tree can bear bad fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. The, 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 the fruit tells you the teaching. So when Jesus walks into their synagogues and sees a man who every day is participating, every week is participating in the religious ceremonies, but he's still crippled. He sees a man every week who's engaged in the worship, who sits under the teaching, but he sits there with, with a ceiling over his potential. He sits there with his strength inhibited and limited. And he sees him there every week in devotion, and yet he's lame. So the Word of God walks in. Jesus is the Word became flesh. And the Word says, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse Him? They weren't interested. They, they weren't, hey, Jesus, could you heal this guy? Man, he's been, he, can, he can't work. You know, he's struggling just to make ends meet, but he's here every, every Sabbath, Jesus. He, he's here. He, he leans into worship. He, he does his best with one arm. You know, he sweeps the foyer. He's a, he's a good man. But man, if there's anything, that's not what they were saying. They were seeing if Jesus would heal him so they could accuse him. And Jesus says, you little snotty. If you guys have a sheep and it falls into a ditch, you're gonna immediately pull him out or you'll break the law for your sheep, but you won't do it for one of God's kids. Be wary of, of the, the religious, the, because all they produce is death. The Word of God should produce life. The Word of God should produce life. His commandments are life and life everlasting. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes to kill strip, but I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. In uh, Proverbs 22 verse four, it says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. How awesome is that? Humility, fear of the Lord. In other words, putting God first. You will find that as you put God's first, this is what the Bible says. This is, this is what you will begin to produce in your life. You begin to find that you begin to prosper, riches. You find that you begin to get elevated in the marketplace and elevated in your world, honor. And you'll find that, man, you're having life. Do you know there are a lot of people living, but they don't got no life? They're literally walking dead people. How do you know if you've got life, you're looking forward? You're looking forward. Your eyes are open. There are a lot of people, we, we bury them at 75, but they died when they were 20. They stopped dreaming. They stopped believing. They're a victim. They're a hashtag, me too. Somebody stole from me, and I'm just going to live with something that happened in the past. Your eyes aren't in the back of your head. Your eyes are in the front of your head. You ought to be looking forward. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Don't let somebody's evil don't let somebody's evil hijack the narrative of your destiny, your testimony, God's potential and God's calling on your life. You make a decision. This is going to be the greatest year of my life. I'm moving from death to life. And then number three, move from dead religion to a gospel of power. Move from dead religion to a gospel of power. I, I love this because I have found in my life, when I got saved on a beach, I didn't get called into a dead religion. My life was a mess. When I got saved, I was a mess on legs. I gave my life to Jesus and I honestly was expecting Jesus to put some gloves on or at least call an angel and say, whoa, quick quarantine this, you know, in case they catch something. <clears throat> my life was a mess. 
but it was the Word of God. It wasn't dead religion. It wasn't more rules and regulations. I didn't, now, now that I'm becoming a Christian, there's a whole lot more stuff that I need to, what I found was I found a gospel of power. I found a gospel of power. I found when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, I left engineering and I found that Jesus began to make me. He brought my beautiful Leanne into my life. Now listen, God made it very, very clear that she was the one that He had handpicked for me. But I've got to tell you, I didn't have the wisdom. I did not possess the wisdom, the insight or the understanding to keep what God brought into my life. It's one thing for God to bring you something. It's another thing for you. See, the, the whole story of the Bible is about stewardship. God took the man whom He had formed and put him in the garden to tend and to keep it. Adam didn't build the garden, God did. God brought Adam into paradise, but Adam's job was to steward what God had brought him. God, Adam's job was to steward what God had built him. So you will find that everything in life, your promotion, your company, your spouse, your children, is, is a stewardship development and a stewardship test. God brought me the most magnificent woman, but I realized at that moment, oh my gosh, I'm in a conundrum. I'm in a deficit because I don't possess the wisdom or the understanding. In fact, I am self-sabotage because my picture is one of dysfunction. My father, my mother was dysfunction. They, the way that they problem solved, the way that they didn't problem solve, the way that he ran from conflict, the way that he just blamed and just bullied. If I adopt these things, I'm going to ruin this perfect picture. And so I realized I needed to get wisdom. Well, there's one source of wisdom. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. Do you know there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, just like there are 31 days in most months. So there's a chapter for every day of unbelievable wisdom. And I found that God began to reconstruct and began to give me wisdom so that He began to show me, your wife is a product of your husbandry. I'm like, no, don't tell me that. I want it to be her fault. Don't tell me it's my fault. And he's like, yes, she will become whatever you call her. And right now I've got a ledger of things that you called her. Is that who you want to live with? No. Who do you want to live? I want to live with this. He goes, well, when do you start calling her that? I said, when she starts behaving. He says, I don't know how it works. He says, you've got to start calling her that. So he says, before I brought all the animals to Adam, I brought all the animals to Adam to see what Adam would call them. Whatever he called them, that's what they became. God had to show me his principles. His principles weren't religious it, you know, uh, religious observance, his, his, his words were faith. His words were life empowering. I left dead religion and I found a gospel of power. I began to say, you're beautiful, you're magnificent. And all of a sudden I began to notice, my God, it's, it's true. Look how beautiful you are. My God, look how brilliant you are. Instead of calling her names or fault finding, I began to find things that her wisdom, her there's, there's hardly a decision I make in the church that I don't run past my Liani. Her insight, it's like I'm sitting with the greatest psychologist. When her people skills, her pe it's just incredible. All of that was there, but would have been stifled if this jack wagon <laughs> stayed how he was. But I found not dead religion, I found a gospel of power. A gospel of power. Now let me just say this. Let me just say this, you will find that the Word of God has power in it. The Word of God has power in it. 
there's a beautiful story. In fact, it's the story of Peter. It's beautiful. You can watch it. You can follow it through the Bible. Peter uh, is washing his net. This is really early on. He's washing his nets because they fished all night, caught nothing. And then Jesus got the crowds, you know, kind of thronging him. He's, at, he's down there at the, the Sea of Galilee. And so he just gets into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's. He says, Simon, would you launch out just so I can teach without getting, you know, everyone wanting to interrupt me because they got needs. And so we're just going to get everyone just, just listen and I'll preach to you minister to you. So, you know, so Peter, the next minute he's rowing out and his friends are like, where are you going? It's like, oh, I, this guy just, I don't know. I don't know. I, and now he's stuck there and he's like, do I, do I dive in and swim? Do I leave you with the boat? How do I know you're going to steal my boat? And so he's just kind of sitting there and he's kind of stuck. It's like a forced sermon. But at the end of Jesus' teaching, because Jesus never takes something from you without blessing you. Jesus says, listen, I just rented your boat, I know. So now I'm going to fill it. Whatever you give to God, He'll fill. Whatever you bring to God, He will fill. That's why the devil's a liar. Oh, don't give your relationship with God. You find that your relationship's empty. If you bring your relationships to God, He will fill it. Whatever you bring to God, He'll fill. So He says to Simon, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Simon's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman. Master, we have toiled all night, caught nothing. But watch this. He says, but nevertheless... After sitting here listening to your sermon, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down a net. I don't have nets faith. I just have net. Jesus said, let down the nets. He says, I'm not there yet. But he says, but you know what? After listening to your teaching, nevertheless, at thy word, I will. If you could do anything this year, can I encourage you? Turn your will towards his word. Make his word your will. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. When, you're, when the human will connects with the Word of God, powerful things happen. So Peter lets down a net. They, they fished all night, caught nothing. He's just finished cleaning the nets. He's like, I don't want to re-clean them. So he throws a net in. So many fish swim into the net that the net begins to break and hemorrhage fish. He has to signal to his partners in the other boats. They come running, rowing over and they're pulling up so many fish that they fill both the boats till they began to sink with one net that was broken. Imagine they threw the nets in and so Peter gets on his knees and says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, I'm gonna put you into the ministry. From now on, you'll catch men. So that's, Jesus first, that's Peter's first encounter of Jesus. So then just a few chapters later, they're, they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee to heal a demon-possessed man in, in the region of Gadarea. And halfway across the, the lake, there's a, a giant windstorm arose. The wave's been in the boat. And the water, the water in the boat is causing the boat to sink. They're taking more water in. The wind and the waves are spilling in the boat. In Luke, it says they were in jeopardy or in danger of drowning. And Jesus is asleep. God, typical. How many times does God seem asleep right in the middle of my crises? So they go and they wake him up. Teacher, don't you care? We're perishing. And really what they were asking is 12 of us Working and not able to displace the water that is coming in. We're taking more water in than we're getting out. Be the 13th person and help us. And Jesus just said, no, no, no. And he stands up and he says, peace, be still. And immediately the wind. See, if you deal with, if you deal with the symptoms, you don't get your breakthrough. The symptoms was just deal with the, the water in the boat. Jesus dealt with the root. He took out the wind and the waves. Peace be still. Now Peter's like, whoa. 
even the wind and the sea obey him. The reason the wind and the sea obey him is because it was the same word that was there in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. All things were created by him. All things were created through him and all things were created for him. Nothing was made that is made that wasn't made through the word of God. God said, let there be light. Light was. That's why when Jesus speaks, the entire universe stands at attention and obeys because they recognize the author of the their existence and their creation. Everything bows to the Word of God. You're the smartest people in San Diego because on a Sunday morning, you get up, you get your kids dressed and they spill stuff on them. Then you get them redressed and then you come to church and you make the effort to be in the house of God. I got to tell you, life is too short for us to give you dead religion or give you more rules. We want to give you a gospel of power. We want to give you a gospel of life, a gospel of transformation. The Word of God has power when you apply it to your life. So now watch this. So now uh, several chapters later, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He goes up onto a mountain, you know, tells the disciples, you get in the boat, cross to the other side. They're straining at the oars because the wind is contrary. And then Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And they freak out thinking it's a ghost. People say, how could they be so super? If you saw a human walking on the sea at 3 a.m. in the morning, you're either thinking it's an apparition, somebody spiked my water with vodka, or it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, it's not a ghost, it is I. Watch Peter. Peter's like, whoa, whoa, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And I love Jesus. He says, come. Because Peter knew, hang on, the first miracle I had on the water was at your word. The second miracle on the water was your word. You're doing something that is cray cray impossible. If it is you, send your word out. Send, send, send me your word because your word takes the limits off. Your word lifts us this year. Disconnect from dead religion. Disconnect, but, and, but connect to a gospel of power. Do you know that there are three flows that we have in this house? That, that there are three flows from heaven. Number one is from barrenness to fruitful. From barrenness to fruitful. That there's just a flow. We, we, we dug... God told me many years ago in prayer and fasting in January to dig three wells because the kingdom of heaven is about a flow. There was a, there was a flow of power when she touched Jesus. She said, who, who touched me? I felt power flow from me. I felt virtue flow from me. The kingdom of heaven is a flow. There's a flow. This is not just a building where religious people get together to study a religious historical text. No, no, there is a flow. There's an anointing. Even the anointing is a flow. You'll find that you step into a flow. There's something present here. The first one is from barren to fruitful. The second one is healing. You'll find that you can walk in with a tumor. You can walk in with a disease. You can walk in with an infirmity. You can walk in with a sickness. But there is a flow here that is supernatural because the word that we preach is a word of life. We preach a gospel of power awaken a life giving church you may find that your your potential is shriveled you may find but you know what in here we don't preach we don't preach more legalism and judgment what we preach is the grace of God the goodness of God the power of the gospel and you will find that what is shriveled begins to become whole you'll find that your potential find you start seeing 
again, start dreaming again. So from barren to fruitful healing and then prosperity, you will find that you may come, be coming into this church with not enough to look after you. God wants to bless you so that you have more than enough for you so you can begin to lift your eyes and see the fields are white under harvest so that you can be blessed and abounding so you can give to every good work. So all of a sudden, instead of having to be a receiver, you can become a giver. The, the, the great lie of welfare is that you should become dependent on somebody else. No, no, no. You, you should be a blessing. You should be a source of heavenly provision. You should be a conduit. You should be a channel. You should be a spring bubbling over, flowing so that the blessing of God comes through you. That's why the devil hates the gospel more than he hates anything else because the gospel separates you from dependency and need on man and puts you under the very, very fountain of God's flow so you can be blessed to be a blessing. Can somebody say amen? The fourth one, last one, I've got to move really quickly. Numero cuatro, por favor. And number four, and this is probably the most important one, is that God wants you to disconnect from doing life solo and connect to your tribe. I know Frank Sinatra sang the song, I did it my way, but he's the only one. And I tell you what, it's amazing, it's amazing how many self-made millionaires, and then I did this, and I, and I came up with the idea, and, and someone says, well, wasn't it the team? Well, I came up with the concept of team. And, and I've got a fleet of cars in Zurich, and I can remember, and I, and I still remember the It's amazing how many self-made millionaires, when they lose it all, blame others. We'll take all the credit, it was all me, 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 I on the way up, but it was them, them, them on the way down. Can I tell you, there is no me, me, I on your way up. We stand on the shoulders of the people who have gone before us. Two are better than one, they have a better reward for their labor. One sets flight to a thousand, two, ten thousand. There's a multiplying effect. In uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, he studies uh, a city in America called uh, Pareto which is in Pennsylvania. What's interesting about Pareto is the, the, the people there were migrants who came here in the 1800s from Italy. They're an anomaly because they have almost zero heart disease, zero cancer, zero high blood pressure. Their lifespan goes from 90 to many of them live well into their centenary years, live into their 100, 500, 610. So the experts began to think, well, maybe there's something geographically or maybe there's something nutritionally about the, the soil or the water or what, what is it that these people have such low heart disease, such low blood pressure, you know, almost no mortality as far as cancers and different diseases and diabetes and man, what is it and why, why do they live for so long? So they thought there must be nutrients in the soil. Maybe there's something in the soil in this area. They found nothing different to the soil there. Then they said it must be it must be in the way that they eat their food. And then they found instead of using fats for cooking that were, you know, polyunsaturated, they found that these guys were using the cheapest, nastiest, with all the saturated fats that aren't good for you and still living. And they, after nine months of conducting study after study, they were just met with frustration because there was no difference between them and anywhere else until one of the families had their front porch, the roof collapsed. And then the scientists observed how immediately all the neighbours and all the community gathered, they came rushing with their tools and rebuilt and re-established. And then how the people who were the beneficiaries of that brought out their tomatoes and brought out, and then they had a big feast and they were laughing and celebrating. And then they realised that what was right in front of them all along that they didn't see was community 
was community. The way these people did community, that, that there's a power that is scientifically proven that life works better together. The wolf, which Jesus refers to as the devil, or even the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, never goes after the pack. You notice they never attack a pack. They'll always attack the stray. The wolf always goes after the lagging sheep, the straying sheep, the wandering sheep, the isolated sheep. You weren't created to do life solo. Maybe you've walked through divorce or maybe you've walked through you know, a bad business dealing. Somebody stole from you or somebody betrayed you and you're wounded in your heart. This year is a year where God wants to begin to heal and deal. He wants to take you through that. He wants to take you into all that He has. But you've got to stop doing life on your own. You are better together. You are better in a tribe. You are better finding your pack. You were created to run in a pack. Do you know, that again, it's scientifically true that if you take a lion and a tiger and put them in a cage to fight, the tiger wins every time. A tiger is much more powerful and stronger than a lion. However, if you take a pack of lions and a pack of tigers, the lions win every single time because the tigers don't know how to run as a pack, but lions do. You were created. You may say, well, there are things that are taking me down that are more powerful than me. Get into your pack. Get into pack formation. When we talk about connect, we talk about find your pack, find your tribe. Connect group isn't about just so that, hey, you know, let's do church midweek. It's about you finding your fit. It's about you finding your pack. It's about when you're weak, someone else can be strong. Two are better than one. If one falls, the other can help him up. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. Two are better. One cold, two can keep him warm. There's something about doing life with other people. Don't let the devil isolate you. Don't let him disconnect you. Well, I'm too busy. There's a group for you. There's a tribe for you. There's a pack for you. Pastor John says the greatest thing that him and Becky did was join a connect group. I got to tell you, Leanne and I are who we are and where we are because we've decided to run in a pack. You know, what? you may be surprised that I don't have www.jurgenmatesiasministries.com. Number one, no one will ever be able to find it because you can't spell it. Which probably helped, but, but we didn't come here to build our own ministry, to build our own. In fact, if, if there's anything we need less of, it's that. We found that our life is so rich because of the great people that we surround. This is not a church built on our leadership or our anointing or our gifting. It's a church that is built on the building of teams and the releasing of greatness. The greatness on the front row, the greatness on the second row, the greatness on the third. My God, it just keeps going. Our job is to bring greatness out of you. Make a decision this year. You know what? I'm going to leave a, I'm going to leave a religion of death, and I'm going to go to a gospel of power. I'm moving from death to life. I'm moving from legalism to grace. But I'm moving from doing life solo into a tribe. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.